As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. All right, James, no dinking around today. We're getting right into it with our very special guest. He's the great host of Overdrive, the captain of the eye test. Is that your team name still? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I think you got to go down with the ship, right? Like we're team eye test until we get beaten. I don't I don't recall <laughs> Team Borsi ever taking us down. So why would we change? You guys need to change, not us. We're not doing, I'm not part of this, you guys. We're not doing trivia on this show. I know that. <laughs> You've been, well, don't, oh, don't bullshit us. You've been angling to get onto my team. And I yeah. chose Chris Johnson. And you were upset. It's true. Team loser? <laughs> oh, boy. You guys are not for a lot, Jonas. Like, I love how you don't even mention Masters anymore. It's just a thing of the past. Like, right into CJ and possibly Myrtle wanting to be a part of it. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, that's got to be uh, happening again at some point. Trivia, I don't know. That was some of our best work, I think, <laughs> It's trivia. Well, this is a good segue into what I want to start with you today. I, like a good manager, looked around at my team and I said, you know what? It's not working. I got to do something different. I can't keep running it back with Mark. I got to try something different. So I want to carry over our conversation from the other day on Overdrive. Um, about the possibility of the core coming back. And my first question to you is like, 
can you make any kind of argument like if you were Brendan Shanahan or whoever and you were going to the board and you were saying, you know, I want to bring everyone back. What would you say? And like, do you think there's any justification to that idea? Yeah, I think you can make that case actually pretty easily, Jonas. It's not a a case I think I want to hear, and I don't think it's a case that fans want to hear, but I think it's a case that bean counters want to hear, that a board would want to hear, possibly an owner that's trying to, you know, sell a big portion of his stock wants to hear. And that is that if you keep these guys together, you're going to sell a lot of jerseys, you're going to sell tickets, and you're going to go to the playoffs. And it, I've said this since day one. Like I think I feel like I've been saying this for years. But if you're Brendan Shanahan, that is very seductive. Like that is a very seductive idea. And I think from the board's perspective, it is as well. It's not about winning necessarily. Although I think his argument would be punch a ticket, see what happens. Uh, almost making out as if it's just a completely random experiment come playoff time. But if you bring, you know, the core four back, if you bring Riley back, let's add Brody in there. Um, it sounds as if Sheldon Keefe is going to return. And Sheldon Keefe is a very good regular season coach, you know, with a long history of rocking up points and putting this team in a position to punch a ticket to the playoffs. That's the argument. That's the case. And I think what what Shanahan and company would reference is, you know, we can take you back to, to 08 if you want. You can go back to 2010 if you'd like. We can go back to all those years where it wasn't even – you know, the playoffs were, were not even in question. Like day one, everyone knew the team wasn't good enough. So that's the case. That's the argument is that you're going to the playoffs and you're going to have these young stars that, you know, a lot of, a lot of Leaf fans love and a lot of kids show up with Matthews jerseys and Marner jerseys and Tavares and Nylander and Riley. Uh, so I think, again, what would stick out to me if I were a fly on the wall in there is, where does the Stanley Cup come into play, right? Like, what about past history in the actual playoffs and not getting it done? But the idea of selling the board on making the playoffs, and it's basically a formality, I actually think is is a pretty simple pitch for bean counters and, you know, stockholders and 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 people that are just simply looking to, to make a lot of money. I would follow up on that by saying your point about postseason success and lack thereof don't you make more money if you go on like a deep run and i guess my follow-up to that which isn't even really a follow-up is if you zoom out and you look at it, it's like well they did they won a round like i mean i, I remember writing after the first round you know now this should kind of solidify things but then like the way it went against florida it's like well geez like now how can you bring everything back do you still think this team can win like if 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 you do maybe there is an argument to bring them back well i have a very difficult time concluding that <laughs> because we're talking 7 years yes. right <laughs> like yes. like I, i've been saying you know throughout the week on overdrive like it's kind of moved from patience to complacency yeah oh, and it kind of speaks to the argument i just made which again is an argument i i can make total sense of i can i can understand why they'd say hey we go to the playoffs every single year, you know, may, maybe you don't get Bobrovsky next year. Maybe you don't get Vasilevsky or maybe finally, you know, everything just breaks their way. Although you could argue that it, it really broke their way against Tampa. And then eventually they ran out of, you know, any luck that they might have moving into the Florida series. But yeah, I, I, I have a difficult time arguing that these players 
you know, and whatever else is going to filter beyond it because we're dealing with a cap system and they take up so much of the money that it's difficult for them to build a truly championship team. Um, they, they've obviously built a very good team. Like every year in the regular season, they're, they're one of the five or seven best teams. They go into the playoffs and you could make arguments on any given night that they're going to win that individual game. But winning 16, it's it's difficult after so long. And to your to your question about, you know, the glass half full about going for a cup is you make that much more money is absolutely accurate, is absolutely true. And, you know, I, I would like to believe that that would be compelling enough to push for change. But I, I get the impression like Shanahan and, and I, I guess Tree Living now, um, you know, they're they're either adverse to it because they're concerned they take a big step back or, or you know, possibly mess with a mojo that, again, gets them to, you know, at least the, the foot of the mountain, you know, the playoffs every single year. Um, or they, they really do have belief and it comes down to what they see behind the scenes, which we're not privy to. Because all we can do is react to what we see on the ice. And they're all individually very good players, great players. But, you know, collectively, there's just a lot of sample size here. This is not, you know, this isn't panic-inducing, you know, throw everything overboard and restart. It, it, and again, I don't think anyone's suggesting get rid of all of them, right? Or anything. It's not personal. It's like maybe you just mix up the ingredients and, and you're very likely to still have a very good team and a playoff team. And, and then maybe you've just got a different formula come playoff time. But I don't get the impression that, that we're moving in that direction. I, w- I was going to ask you, Brian, what would be like the number one or number two things on your list that you'd like where you'd like to see change with this team? Well, I think there's a couple of things that we can take from the playoffs every year. This is the thing about the conversation is, you know, there's a regular season conversation and there's a playoff conversation. And I, I'd like to believe that within, you know, the executive uh, boardroom, they're talking about what they have to do differently in the playoffs because they have enough in the regular season to, to kind of cruise the playoffs every year. Um, I think you need to make a determination on how you're going to build um, either in the net or on on defense. Because what, what has happened here, um, you know, throughout the playoffs and, and specifically the last few years, James, is you've got different examples of how teams can be built and what, what they rely on in terms of their goaltending. This year it was Aiden Hill that got them there. But I think the reason Aiden Hill got them there is, A, he played really well, but Vegas were monsters defensively. Yeah. Like, monsters. So I, I think if you're going to go with kind of accept mediocre goaltending, you better have monsters on defense you better have a team that is completely committed to that um and then obviously the ability to to pot goals that goes without saying or are you going to go with you know an elite goaltender where that allows for maybe a different style of play Uh, i don't see an elite goaltender in the future so i guess i would address um you know the the size and and the ability to shrink the ice in the playoffs like i i and i i think that's a big conversation among leaf fans right now and I've, I've witnessed it. I've had these conversations. I know you guys have as well. That at times they actually had difficulty scoring goals. You know, so it's like, well, they should be investing more in offense. But I think if you're going to bring the core four back and you, you're going to bring in, you know, guys like Matthew Nyes and possibly others, like offense should not be an issue. And like with Bobrovsky, he just stood on his head. He was phenomenal. Like he was so, so good. But I'm not concerned about offense in the biggest moments. I, I think it's more about them filling out their defense 
I think they got to get bigger. They got to get nastier and they've got to shrink the ice. And I, I, I really believe that there's like a hundred years of data on that effectively. Like it, sometimes it's, it's a simple answer. You know, it's a very complex game, but sometimes you can simplify it. You look at Vegas, their defense are monsters. Tampa's had the biggest defense in the league for years. Uh, when the Habs went to the cup final, they had monsters. They played a top four. They were all six, four, six, five, two twenty, or it felt that way. Uh, I recall a, a quote from Daryl Sutter. He was talking about the Habs in the late 70s uh, after Guy Lafleur passed away. Um, and he was asked about playing against Lafleur and, and how great those teams were. And he immediately referenced, he said, go look at their top four defense. Like Lafleur was phenomenal. And, you know, Dryden was great. But go look at their top four. It was Robinson and Savard. They were monsters. And that's kind of what happens in the playoffs. And I, I really, I think that is what, tree living believes in i think if you look at his philosophy in calgary and I, i'd like to see it carry over here i think they need to get bigger nastier um and obviously have an ability to defend skate i mean there's a lot of checklists that that have to be checked off for that but that's that's probably where where i would lean towards uh, in I terms thought, of what i'd like to do i thought it was really interesting you know kyle dubas his, his last press conference as leafs gm which we didn't know at the time was his last press conference as leafs gm he talked about how they need to think about how to create offense differently in the playoffs. That was one of his takeaways from what happened against Florida. And if you look back, it's, you know, the the kind of like the power outage for their big guys against Montreal, against Columbus, against Tampa to some extent, certainly against Florida in, in round two. I mean, there is, it does seem like the, there's a, there's a lack of ability to create offense when it matters most. I wonder if some of what you're talking about, the size and the nastiness is what they need up front as opposed to on the back end. But then I look at free agency and I don't know where you find that or like that's what it comes down to me is uh, how do you make this team? They tried to do it at the trade deadline and it didn't really work. So how do you how do you attempt to make this team more of a quote unquote playoff gritty team this offseason? I think that's the ultimate question, James. And I, I, I'd i like to believe they have that answer. I'm not sure you can do it just on July 1st. Like I, I think what Dubas and by extension, I'm sure Shanahan kind of confirmed is like in the salary cap era, especially with the cap not going up and it barely is again this year is you, you, you kind of, you got to do as much as you can, but you also got to put yourself in a position where you can pounce at the deadline. Um, because that's when a lot of action can take place. That's when you can kind of fill out your roster uh, is when teams are, are dumping off, um, you know, and, and possibly willing to take on money for you to pay a heftier price. But I'm with you. You look at the UFAs, it, it's, it's very difficult to, to fill out a roster, you know, completely on, on July 1st. And it doesn't appear as if it's it's an incredibly deep class anyway. And you're also not the only team going for services, right? Like the Leafs, because of the nature of their cap and because of how much they invest in, in really three guys in particular, the last number of years has just been trying to find guys relatively cheap. You know, trying to trying to convince guys to come up late, trying to get a Zach Aston Reese on a PTO, you know, like that. And I, I'm not sure if that really is going to change if these guys are all back and the cap's only going up a million. They've got some room to work with. But if if that one guy you really like or those two guys you really like that could fill the roles that you just suggested, you're willing to pay them each two. But the team down the road's willing to pay them three. You're probably going to lose. Right. Mm -hmm. You're probably not going to be able to get them. So that's what it just always comes back to the cap situation 
and the flexibility and the ability to go find those guys. Because I, I agree with you. I think that would be ideal is, is really fill it out, you know, throughout your roster in some capacity, but I think it's easier said than done. Well, doesn't it, isn't it an indictment, I guess, on those four players? Like you're talking before Hayes about the offense and it kind of disappearing, not kind of disappearing at times in the playoffs. Matthews doesn't score in the second round. Tavares doesn't score in the second round. If that, if you're built on those guys being able to score in the playoffs and they don't score consistently in the playoffs, isn't that maybe your answer that maybe you have to change one of those guys? Like, yeah. isn't it kind of staring at you, you in the face? Like I was arguing with one of our guys, Dom, about exactly what you were talking about. He's like, they don't need any more defensemen. They have their defense is good enough. They need to find more scoring in their bottom six. And I'm like, aren't they built like so that their top four guys are supposed to kind of carry them offensively? So then doesn't that maybe tell you maybe you just got to change one of those guys or two of those guys? I don't know. Yeah, I think that ultimately has been their philosophy and and to be fair i think that's the philosophy of almost every team like sure you you know you always reference you, you look at vegas and and you look at carrier bringing you know a lot to the table and um you know wa bringing a lot to the table the tampa years everyone buzzed about coleman and, and goudreau yeah. and, and jan gordon and obviously that is ideal and and you certainly can't have a black hole in the bottom six like there's no question over the course of a long playoff run you need contributions from from deeper in your in your roster, it feels but, the Leafs kind of have have had a black hole in the bottom six, haven't they? Like your Engvall and Mikheyev, you yeah. know, even even you know, like they just they probably need a little bit more punch down there too. I agree. I totally agree with you. But what I would say is, you know, let, let's use the Coleman Gord uh, Gujo example. If I can recall correctly, I'm pretty sure Braden Point was a stud throughout those playoffs. As was like, Kucherov. As was as Sam was as was Stamkos, as was Hedman, as was Vasilev. You know, yeah. it's it just like there's a yes, you, you need it. Of course you need it. You got to have it. But if the other guys don't show up, it doesn't matter. Like ultimately, like it, sports, it's always going to run through your best players. Like it always has and it always will. And it's easy to, to you know, select one portion of the team and say, well, this could have helped too. But it's, it's largely irrelevant if the guys you really rely on, the guys who are going to play the most, your best players, your most talented players, if they don't get the job done first, then everything else doesn't really matter. You know, like in, in terms of the big picture, could you win a series without them? Sure. You know, individual games, absolutely. You cannot win 16 games in the spring if your best players are not electric. Like it can't happen. It's never happened. So I, I'm not disagreeing with, with the you know, the, the idea that they need to fill out and that they, they need more offense in certain areas. But you just referenced it, Jonas. Like, if Austin Matthews plays a series and he doesn't score... You're fucked. Like, it's over. Yes, you're totally... You can't look at David Camp and say, hey, Camp, what the hell? Like, what are you doing? Because yeah. Camp will look back and say, what about that guy? Are you nuts? Like, go talk to him. Where's he at? Where's Tavares? You know, like, it always is going to start with them. And it's not even about a core four thing. It's, you know, Eichel was phenomenal. Marcia was great. Stone was awesome. Petrangelo was great. Theodore was great. You know, were other guys awesome? Yes. But they wouldn't be awesome if the other guys didn't show up because they would have been out probably in the second round. So, you know, the big boys have always, it's always got to start there. They've always got to be dominant. And, you know, that that allows for you to highlight what the other guys are doing. Um, where I get the impression in Toronto, it's it's almost reverse. Where it's like we start with yeah. 
you know, what else went wrong as opposed to looking again and simplifying things and saying, well, Austin didn't score and John didn't score. So that's probably a problem. And I'm not sure it's going to work for you long term if that continues. Well, that kind of brings me to something I wanted to ask you about. You said something on Overdrive. I think one of the times I was in hosting that's kind of stuck with me and made me think a lot about. Uh, and that was, and actually, you talked about it another at other points with Austin Matthews and his next contract. And it's something I've been thinking about. How much responsibility do you think a player has to a team in a cap system to take less? Do you think they have some, a lot, none? Because like I can make a case that. They should, in theory, want to take less. But then if I'm them, I'm also like, dude, this is my job. Like, I want to get as much money as I possibly can. So what do you think Matthews and and maybe to a lesser extent, Neilander owe the team in that sense? Well, I think we've all thought about this a lot. And I, I think I would begin by saying that any issue that Austin Matthews or any other superstar might have in terms of having to face this decision, Direct your anger towards Gary Bettman and the owners because mm. they demanded a hard salary cap without any flexibility. And as a result, this is the nature of the beast is that the best players, they, they can't take everything because if they do, it's impossible to win. It's, a, it's, it's just impossible to win. Do they deserve, does McDavid deserve 20%? He probably deserves 50% yeah. of the cap, but it can't can't happen if you want a chance to win. So yes, I, I think it is absolutely um, it, it's mandatory that they don't take every possible percentage. But I also think when it comes to Matthews and the situation that he finds himself in, there's a couple things that that I would I would bring to the table. First and foremost, putting the the, the finances aside because there's been a lot of discussion about you know he wants flexibility or he wants to know where the team is going. This team. I think has done everything they possibly can for Austin Matthews. He has been in the playoffs every year of his career. Every single year he's been here, he's been in the playoffs. They have surrounded him with a lot of talent. They have, they have changed coaches. They have changed management. Uh, they treat him like a king. By all accounts, the Leafs treat their players at a level that, that basically no other team does in the league, maybe in pro sports. They treat, the, they treat these guys with incredible five-star class across the board. Um, and as a result, again, to be fair to him, he wants to return. Like we've all heard that. We all believe it. We all know it. He wants to come back. But the Leafs have done a lot for him. And the Leafs are also going to offer him the biggest contract in cap era history. So that alone would suggest they're treating him very well. They're treating him with a lot of respect. And it just feels like only in Toronto would that be scoffed at or would there be a suggestion that the player is getting screwed over here and like the biggest contract in in cap era history is now the mckinnon deal at 12.6 million per over eight he went up a hundred grand over mcdavid that was not a coincidence right mm -hmm. it was i gotta push the board up i'll push the, the 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 i'll push it up a little bit so that the pa is happy with me so that i'm a little bit ahead of mcdavid because it's my time and i'll give eight years to to, to colorado if the Leafs put Eight years, thirteen point five million in front of in front of Austin Matthews. Are you telling me that's disrespectful? It, it, that that would make him the highest paid player in the league by almost a million dollars. That that's everywhere else. You look at that and say, "Wow, what a move by the team! Wow, they really paid him. Man, they love that guy." But up here, it's like, "Well, he should get this, that, or the other, or he wants flexibility." 
And if he wants it, he wants it. He's entitled to it. He's allowed to do it. But the argument, again, has always been, well, why wouldn't why would I not take the money and allow you to spend it where you might spend it in the wrong fashion? Right. That's always been the argument yep. that if I get money back to the team, Man I'm trusting you to do it right. Yeah, exactly. And maybe you're going to get it wrong and maybe they will. But you know what else could happen? They could maybe get it right. And the fact of the matter is, in a hard salary cap, it sucks for the high end players. But this is the nature of the beast. You, you can't take it all. I think you have to set a standard for the other guys that you're the bar. You're the leader. You want to be here. Allow for the team to have financial flexibility in the future where they know cost certainty is coming and that you're not up again in two or three years to put them back in a situation where they're not sure what their future looks like. So I I do think it's the responsibility of the best player to, to ideally lock in long term, to not take every penny you can get. Um, and, and again, I think if he signs anywhere between five and eight years for 13, 13 and a half, you know, Maybe it's 14 if it's an eight-year deal. Th- that is an incredible contract for Austin Matthews. Like, I don't think anyone should be shedding tears that this guy's getting screwed over because he wouldn't be if, if that were the situation. So what do you do, though, Brian, if you're the Leafs and he doesn't want to do that, right? Like, you're kind of over a barrel. Like, there's not much you, you – the player's got all the leverage in this situation, right? So, Well, yeah, I've, I've heard that, James, but here's, uh, here's what I would counter that with. If he really wants to be a Leaf, then they have leverage, too. Because they're the only ones that can offer that, right? Like that's we always we, to use other examples. You know, Jeter wanted to be a Yankee. Well, I mean that's a tough example because there's no salary cap there. But if you really want to be a Yankee, then you got to work with the Yankees, right? If like, the Yankees, hey, Brady's the example. Remember, Brady took less all those years in New England. Absolutely, yeah. and a lot of that was because he wanted to win. I don't know if it was that he loved living in Boston or yeah. New England and, and Belichick. That was just purely a win. You know, uh, this is what I'm going to do because I understand it. And and there's a part of that that, that comes into play here is, you know, you, you got to allow for some flexibility so that the GM can do other things and bring in other players. But I guess at some point, James, they're, they're going to have to put a stake in the ground is, is what has to happen. And you, you're going to have to have the player prove that he really wants to be here and that he really wants to win. And if, if he, if, you know, he's sitting there saying, I'm not signing for more than two or three years and I want 14, 15 million plus, I think he'd have to move on him because I think he'd be telling you he doesn't really want to be here. Um, or maybe he doesn't really want to win. And I know that's, that, that would be, that would suck. Like, let me clarify. I love Matthews. I want him to be a leaf forever. The guy's been incredible for the city, for the fan base. Uh, we were all in Ottawa opening night. The guy, ever since he got here, it's been incredible. And, and I, I'd love to see him continue the ride, be the guy that drags this team to a cup. And I, I think that's what he was destined to do when they won the lottery. Um, so I'm I'm all for Team Matthews. I love Austin Matthews. But it's a business. And I think the Leafs have been run over in the past. And that's their own fault. They've allowed it to happen. But they got to have some pride, the Leafs. They, they got to put a stake in the ground at some point and say, we're not going to be taken advantage of. We love you as a player. We're going to offer you the biggest deal in cap era history. The biggest deal. We're not shortchanging you. We're not asking you to sign for less. We're going to make you the most highly paid player in the league. But what comes with that is you've got to throw us a bone. I don't think that's asking too much. I, I, and and if, if he's not willing to do that, he's entitled to that. He doesn't have to. But I really think it, there has to be a line drawn in the sand where if he's not willing to pass it, the Leafs would have to flip him. 
Uh, I really do. I think it has to happen. At some point, you got to have pride in who you are and what you are. And and again, the Leafs have treated him very well, and it's been reciprocated. He's been an unbelievable player. He's been a great ambassador. He's a blast to watch play. Um, I think I speak for everyone in, in Leafs Nation when I say that. But it's got to be mutual. And if he's not willing to do it, then he's probably telling you what he's really thinking. Tough thing, you got that no movement clause coming in eight days, right? Like, there's just not. If you do want to play hardball like that, I, I don't know. It just feels like it's this isn't going to be the scenario where you can do it. But would you define that as as hardball, though, James? I guess is what I'm asking. Like, is it hardball to say, guy, like, like it's hardball to say we're going to trade you before your no move clause kicks in if the negotiations aren't going our way at that point. Yeah, but it, again, it's like there's a middle ground. You know, I think there's a clear-cut win for the Leafs, which I would argue would be a win for Austin Matthews, too. If it's an eight-year deal at like $14 million, that's an unbelievable contract, right? Like, that's life-altering money. And you know they're going to give him a no-trade, no-move. They give him $12 million cash on July 1 every single year. Like, it's just going to be an unbelievable deal I for think, him. I think part of the problem with the eight-year deal on the Matthews side is they're not really sure if this team's going to be competitive for eight years. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily all about the money or taking from the team. It's... They haven't been successful. So why would a player want to commit with a no move clause for eight years the way McDavid did in Edmonton? Like that would be that's going to be part of what the Leafs run into with that. Well, again, um, and, and that might be the argument and that and and I I'm not sure they can have an answer for him. How can you know what's going to happen over eight years? But they've he's been in the playoffs every single year of his career. This is not as if he's they they missed the playoffs by 15 points this year. And they're they're a they're a rudderless ship, and they're a mess, and they're they're just pleading with them, you know, please believe in us. This team makes the playoffs every single year easily. So again, I I just feel like the Leafs have have re- really done a lot <laughs> for him and a lot to prove to him that they're going to be competitive, that they're they're going to continue to go all in and keep giving him chances, and no one can guarantee what's going to happen in eight years um, or five years. And yes, they haven't won a cup, but I think the least then could counter and say, well, where were you in the second round? Like, why is that our fault? You know, like you didn't score in the second round. Like, and again, it's not that it needs to be abrasive or, or you know, lead to some sort of ugliness. Um, but like Pasternak just signed for eight. Does he want a cup there? I don't think so. No. So. You know, why was it just automatic that in Boston, obviously, Past is going to sign? You know, obviously. Why was it Matthew Kachuk showed up? He hadn't stepped foot on the ice in Florida. Well, Pasternak didn't get done till March, right? So, I mean, right. I, I yeah, like if that happens here, it's going to be a complete sideshow. Like if the deal's not done deep into the season. I can't imagine that happens. No. Um, I, you know, I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that if not July 1, close to, I, I think it's going to happen. You know, I, I can't tell you what I what the parameters of it are going to look like, but I, I think it's going to happen. I think he wants to be here. The Leafs want him to be here. And it's just about finding middle ground, you know. And, and again, the Leafs are going to start with, we're going to make you the highest paid player in the league, like possibly by a lot. That's a pretty good pitch, you know. And it, listen, if it's three years, it's three years. I, I don't think that's great for the Leafs. But if it's three years at $13 million, then it's really a four-year deal because he's got another year. And that's fine. Okay, you can deal with that. If it's five plus, I think that's a real win for both sides. If it's if if it's if eight's a, a hiccup for Matthews, then then he has all the right in the world to say I don't want to do it, and the lease will work around that. You know, so be it. 
like eight is a big number. I understand that. And I get why, you know, some players may not be keen to do it. Um, But I do think anything less than, you know, four years is a sign that, you know, maybe it's not a full commitment. Um, But if it's, if it's five plus, then I think that's a win for both sides and, and we'll see what the number ends up being. It's going to be a big one clearly. Um, But again, I think the Leafs have, I think it's been mutual. I really do. I think it's been reciprocated. Matthews has brought everything he possibly could through seven years. Um, and I think the Leafs have done a lot to surround him and, and put him in a winning winning atmosphere and winning environment. They treat him really well. And I, another thing I thought of this morning was he's coming off a down year and it's not even brought up. Yeah. Like it's not even, it's not even suggested that maybe, you know, the Leafs should use that against him. <laughs> like that's wow. how much respect they have for him. Health is a big factor, right? I mean, that's one of the yeah. things that you worry about with committing to to Matthews. But again, I, I don't know what the Leafs are supposed to do with, with I mean, you kind of just have to cross your fingers, right? Well, that is the flip side of maybe an eight-year deal that, that I haven't thought of enough. And maybe collectively we haven't. Maybe the Leafs, it's not in their best interest for an eight-year deal if there's going to be some sort of injury history in the future. Because as much as you can say the team, how could you possibly know what's going to happen in eight years? You can't if you're team building. You can't with individual players either. Like, I assume the guy's going to be a rock star for eight years. You know, I think I'd put a lot of money on that. Uh, I don't think his play will deteriorate. But if there's injury issues, then... You know, maybe a little flexibility, maybe the middle ground, like a four or five year deal. Maybe, maybe that's in the best interest of both sides. But you know, what, maybe that's you know what's funny though, up. Hayes is we think he's been like I I think like man like he's been hurt a fair bit, and you look at his games played, and it's really like he really hasn't missed that much time. But right, and come playoff time, he plays right. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, just because I want to let you go because I know you got to get prep for the show. Um, so quick, would you sign Neilander? Or not? I I would like to. I I I'm a Willie fan. I I know that it doesn't necessarily <laughs> really. Come off yes, I listen. Willie had a phenomenal year. Yeah, he did. Phenomenal year. And you know, in the playoffs, it can come and go. But when it goes, it really really goes with Willie. Um, and he's he's he loves being a Leaf. Like there's a, a lot to like about Willie. Um, I I would definitely try to work out a number. And work out a deal with him. I just don't know. I feel like he might get caught up in the crosshairs of all the other money and all the other commitments. Eight, eight years, um, nine million, Brian. Would you do that? Ooh, does it come with a full no move and no trade? Probably, yeah. I mean, that's, I think that I think nine's probably where. Yeah, that that's where the conversation probably starts with him. I think so too. I think, and I think that's probably the category he should. And again, if it's a longer term deal, then that's probably what has to come with the commitment, with the cap going up eventually, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Willie's a legit stud player. I think he is. He's a he's a very good player. But uh, I think they got to make a call on him quickly into the into the summer here. I I think if you determine that it's not going to work, and not because you don't like him or don't want him around, it just financially it, it's not going to work. That's the guy I'd probably circle as you know possibly being the one that that they decide to flip and and. Again, more so because it just it hits a wall, and they're like, "We can't allow you to walk," you know. And then Willie becomes the guy that represents change, even though it may not actually be what they want. It's kind of like the Dubas situation; just finances got involved, and next thing you know, things change. All right, well, Hayes, we'll let you go. We appreciate you taking 
time to discuss this. At least there's lots to talk about. Like there's, it's not like it's a dull off season for you guys to kind of pick through on overdrive. Oh, it's going to be great. And, uh, I've been waiting for the invite. I appreciate you guys having on, uh, having me on. I love you guys. So I was thinking about it earlier, Jonas, you and I were doing shows like 15 years ago. And <laughs> yeah. I remember doing a, a show on 640 from seven to nine. And one of my first guests was James and James, you were at the globe at that time and uh it's awesome to see it go full circle so yeah. i appreciate you guys having me on and uh we'll do it again down the road well we had tons of requests to have you on so thanks for doing it absolutely anything for you guys thank you looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, our thanks to the great Brian Hayes. Uh, I'm sure everyone listening to this listens to Overdrive. Um, as you and I do. Uh, so there's lots, obviously, there. Yeah. Jonah, I put out the call for questions, and a couple of people thought we were having Kevin Hayes on the show. <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if that's a joke or people the, are just... The next Leafs number two center? <laughs> just kidding. Um, anyway. So there, we got through a bunch of stuff that I wanted to talk about today with Hayes, because um, I think some of that stuff is is like very big picture, like bring back the core, what happens with Matthews on his next contract. Well, um, I'd like to get into Nylander. I'm sure that's on your list. I think that that's a good, like, yeah. Well, and I, I wrote mean, about this to today. It's up to you where you go next. Yeah, no. So we can start there. Um, so I wrote about this today for The Athletic, so feel free to go read that um, if you have a chance. Um, you mentioned eight by nine. I, I kind of think that's exactly where he should land. And I think that's fine. Like, I would do that. Would you do that? Yeah, I would do it, but... I, I'm not, his camp's not saying anything like we've, we're not getting any, there's no information coming out of Fort Knox right now, which is the agent Lewis Gross. So we don't know where it's at, but I suspect that the Leafs really want to know the number and they, cause they need to figure out whether it's going to work or not. And the concern would be if the Nylander camp looks at the cap going up as much as it's going to in the next couple of years and tries to, to bake that in, the concern would be the number goes quite a bit higher than that. Um, and that's when, I don't know, that's when, like, I don't, like, 10 feels like too much to me. So the question is, how much give is there between those two numbers? Well, tell me if you think this has any impact. Um, Matthew Kachuk was just a heart finalist. He obviously had this insane playoff run. He got nine and a half on his eight-year extension, um, eight-year mm-hmm. extension, whatever you want to call it, with Florida. Um, now that was like, I think off the top of my head, that was like 11.3% of the cap. Let's say 11.5. 11.5. Okay. That, that feels like too, like you shouldn't be getting 
more than Matthew Kachuk. So somewhere in between is kind of where I would land. So under next year's cap, 11.5 versus next year's cap, which is going to be 87 and change, that would be just over 10 million. So it'd be yeah. like 10.1 million, the That's Kachuk deal. So yeah, so I think like at most, the Nylander number's going to be like what nine five or something like that yeah that's what i figured but let, but let me ask you this this is this is a question i've always wondered about um in these kinds of situations in the end what's the difference between nine five and nine seven like what you know what i mean like sometimes we kind of get like hung up on we, like man he can't get nine nine five but nine three that's okay going, like what we're not going back to the marner conversations again are we oh yeah we did talk about that oh well oh. i mean that contract's been fine um, but, but, but part of this obviously is if you're going to commit to Neilander, are you kind of just uh, to go back to what we talked about with Hayes, are you kind of just saying these are our guys or are you not like, maybe you're, you're thinking, you know what, in the back of my head, we'll see what happens with Mitch Marner this year, or maybe we trade him. Like, I don't know. The, the, yeah. I mean, I think that, I think Hayes nailed it. I mean, I think that if, if the negotiation goes sideways, the Neilander would be the one that potentially... Like, I know that there's the talk about Shanahan told them that they want everyone to come back and whatever, but if they can't get an extension done, I think that Nealander's name is definitely out there on the trade block. I don't think they're letting, I don't think they're walking this one to the end of the season. There would be no, okay, so I raise this in my story. Let's say you don't like the the conversations in the trade, in the, the contract. It's just like too much. They're insisting on more than you want to pay. And you you try to make a trade, and you look around, and you're like, man, these are all shitty offers. Yeah, well, don't I you mean, just that's have to just don't you just have to kind of bring them back and just be like, you know what? I guess we'll just play this out. I think you just grind around the league to see what you can potentially get. I mean, I I wonder. I feel like the value for a player like that is going to be pretty high this off season, just because there's no difference makers available in free agency at all. Yeah, if you're a team desperate for offense. You're going to have to go the trade route to add that. So I don't think it's the worst offseason to have someone like that potentially on the trade market. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, and, and I would think in, if you're going to trade for Neilander, you're probably going to pay him. So maybe you can get back pretty good value. I guess the, I guess then the question becomes is like, what do you want to get back? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I would think like I, I think a center obviously would be preferable. If not a center, maybe it's a different type of winger. If not a different type of winger, or maybe and or, like maybe it's help on defense. Because I agree with Hayes. I don't know where you stand uh, on the whole defense thing. I'm I'm less with Dom than I am with, like I'm more with Hayes than I am with Dom. I just don't think their D is good enough. And I know you and I, and actually I, it's on my list. Like I want to talk about some of the free agents. I'd like to add both. Yeah, to yeah be both honest. I think is, like, yeah. yeah. I think that they need a little bit more like I said with Brian on the line, I think I think they need a little bit more offense and nastiness on that third line and on the wings on their top two lines. So if you look, I, like I, the one thing I disagree with Brian on is I don't think their cap situation's that bad this offseason. Like well, if they and go you wrote about that. Goal, you wrote about yeah, that. Yeah, like I think well, that yeah. there's flexibility. I think that they can add two good players. The biggest problem is that there's just not a lot available in free agency. Like they've got the cap space. Like they could add two... They could add like a $5 million winger and a $6 million defenseman and make it work. Like there, there's a way to do that. But other than, I mean, maybe Orlov, but I don't know. So I don't know if they, like, is the argument from Dom that they should add two of those forwards? 
Yeah, he he thinks they should lean more offense. He told me like he he thinks their defense is fine, and I, I mean, because like you could literally just bring back what they have. You could make no changes on defense, and you you would just have your D. Obviously, Mark Giordano. We'll see what happens there, but like your D would just be Riley Brody, McKay, Blogren, Timmons, Giordano, and that's it. That's your D. But but to your point, like you could, to your example of like a five and a six million dollar player, you could theoretically try to add Bertuzzi and try to add Orlov and there's that's it. Yeah. And I I kind of like that. But yeah. I, I mean they're pro- they're probably going to get outbid for both of those guys like the number's probably higher than even the one I'm talking about but that makes them to me look pretty formidable. Or maybe what you try and do Jonas is you try and find a bunch of guys in like the 2 and a half 3 million dollar range and you're trying to like add depth that way like you're you're replacing the Kerfoots and O'Reilly yeah. and, and and Hall kind of types with, I don't know, like me. Well, I really it's, like it's one of the guys I had high on my list, James. That that you know, you know, because I talked to you about this. Like, I really like the idea of bringing Connor Brown back, just because I I don't I I mean, we'll see how much he costs because I imagine there's going to be interest, but he could fill kind of like he can play anywhere, and he, I think he can score a bit, and I think he can do a lot of different things. But that's like if you could bring two or three guys like that, maybe that's the play. I don't know. Well, and I'm sure he'd love to come back too. I mean, it wasn't yes. he. It was it was tough for him to to leave the first time. So a local guy, I I, I would I I don't know because I haven't talked to the agent or whatever. But I would suspect he would take a bit less to come here. There is flexibility. I just it's going to be really difficult for them to make good use of that. Like this is a really hard off season. This feels like one of the Leafs' harder off seasons than yes. Whether you. Even with if with keeping the core there, it's going to be a, a significant challenge to make the team as good as it was last year. Well, and it's compounded and you, by the... Yeah, so go ahead. I was just going to say, and if you add in the idea of trying to potentially trade one of the core pieces on top of that, it's like uh, it feels like an impossibly difficult offseason. Well, and it's compounded by the fact, and it's not like a huge thing, but like they just don't have a lot of like... Young guys, like obviously Matthew Nye is going to no. come in and play, but like it's not like they're overflowing with guys that you could just be like, like they have all these free agent forwards, like that you could just plug in a bunch of guys. Like it's going to be like Robertson coming off an injury, Bobby McMahon. Um, so that's less than ideal. Like, would you pay, let's say, whatever Orlov is, would you pay it? Uh, I mean, like I six and a half is times it, seven is or he something like seven that. Seven million long term at. What, I mean, he's 32, right? At the end of the year. Is that right? Like he's... Yes. The, the, you know what the thing that's interesting, I think, about Orlov is he's really good offensively. I think he would help facilitate the offense a bit too. Like part of what you could see in that Florida series is the Leafs weren't getting a lot of... They had just had a lot of defensemen who couldn't facilitate an offense. Like Riley's like felt like the only guy that could drive anything and help... You know, their breakouts were a mess. And that's what I like about Orlov is that he can... I think he would be, he's really, if you look at like some of the advanced stats, Orlov's really good at generating like pass assists and scoring chance assists and just like setting up plays that become offensive plays. And I think they probably need, my concern would be Tree Living saying he wants to focus on D, that it's going to be just, you know, get yeah. like, get like some Bunch big of giants. guys who bring in Gudis or something and like, hey, there we change the look of our defense. And but I actually think they need someone that can move the puck really well. Well, because we saw, to your point, like it was only Riley. And, and I started to think like I was going just in the last month, I, this crossed my mind is like, should they have traded Sandine? Like I was all for that at the time. I had 
thought that that was going to happen a year before. But then it's like, I, I wonder if they could have used that one more guy who could kind of make a play that way. But obviously he had his own playoff questions too. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to get to, actually a couple quick things. Uh, Sheldon Keefe coming back next year. You you always, I kind of were, I, I sensed were okay with that. And I, I was too, like, but it felt like if you weren't going to change the roster, you probably had to change the coach and it feels like maybe they won't do either so. i'm surprised that i thought they would do it just because new gm uh it's an easy change to make um yeah. but tree living was was very explicit right from the very beginning that he kind of thinks keep is a good coach and the thing that surprised me a little bit is the idea that they have to give him a contract extension like i thought maybe they would just come in with him as as a lame duck and give him an assistant coach that has a lot of experience. Like uh, apparently, they looked at Travis Green as uh, who ended up in in New Jersey. Get someone who's been a head coach before uh, to join the staff, and if it's not going well, thirty games in, you make a change and you you put in someone different. But I, they can still do that even if they do extend him. But this I, like this idea that if you give him a contract extension, he's not lame duck doesn't make any sense to me yes. because there's, they could still just like, it doesn't matter. They can still just fire him. Right. So uh, uh, the only thing I would say is like, if it's like a three year extension, maybe it changes a little bit, but it's if it's just like, be, a one, but it won't be like, if it's just a one year, it's like, well, whatever. Even if it's a two year, I suppose. I think Keith is a good coach. I think that the Leaf star players like playing with him. I think he's gotten good results during the regular season. I don't think it's like, and, and the other thing too, Jonas, is I don't see anyone out there available in the coaching carousel that I'm really excited about. Like, I don't, I would rather bring Keith back than, you know, hire Peter Laviolette or Gerard Gallant. And, and if you're bringing in one of those guys, you're going to have to commit on a long-term deal. And I also don't want to do that. So I don't think this is the worst of the options. But it does feel really weird. I was I, I played beer league last night, and we were sitting around after the game having a beer. And the guys on, on the team were like, "They're not changing anything. The only thing they changed was the GM, and that's the one thing I didn't didn't want them to change." Yeah. That, that feels like the, a lot of the fan base feels that way, where they're they're frustrated with the fact that the only change is is going to be Dubis. Um, I mean, I, well, we that was that was the story I wrote on on Tuesday, I think, of this week. That that's what feels so weird. It's like after that fifth game against Florida, it was like, they're doing something like they're not going to do nothing. And the one thing I didn't think that they would do, they did. And then everything else, it's like, they might not do, which is, I mean, it, at some point, don't you have to like change something substantial? And maybe they could just say, well, the GM is something substantial, but the part I struggle with is like, what gives them the belief that something is going to change next year? And then if they, if, Let's say they had the same result next year. Then is that the time to change? Like, I don't know. I mean, we got into this somewhat with Hayes, but the thing I would say is that Shanahan definitely subscribes to the belief that you keep running it back if you have a good team. I mean, he's been saying that and believing that for a long time. And I think part of it comes back to his playing career where he didn't win until he was basically 10 years deep into his career and people said he wasn't a winner and all these things. And then he went to Detroit and people were saying that about the Detroit team that he went to, that they couldn't get it done. And then they got it done. So I, I, I think that he looks at the, the St. Louis blues and the Washington capitals and the teams that broke through after a long, long period of time. And he's, he thinks, why not us? 
So I, I it, it's funny, you know, people blamed Kyle Dubas for so many years for being the run it back guy. It kind of feels like maybe Brendan Shanahan was the run it back guy all along. Yes. And, and, and part of me is wondering like, if it's just like, they just want, like, he just wants to be right about this. And I, and I, I don't know if that's the case, but it feels like that he's fully bought into the narrative you're talking about and that it's just going to happen. And like, it just might not. And we see teams all the time in similar positions, teams that have had more success that at some point they're just like, you know what? We, we these are great players, but we have to change something. So in yeah, some I ways, mean, we'll see. Yeah. In some ways it's a little bit bold, Jonas, because Shanahan's job is going to be on the line here and he's deciding to go with this group that hasn't gotten it done. And Well, I mean, yeah, I like know. after next year, like if, let's say they let's say they, they win a round and they lose in the second round or something. If that happens, then it, like then it's going to be his job that's on the line. I think he has two years left on his contract, so at that point it would be one year left. Yeah, that's what he would be betting on. Um, one more thing before we get to questions. What do you think they will do with Matt Murray? What do you think they should do? Or are well, they the same thing? Be, he's he's going to be gone. I mean, I think that there are three options. There's a buyout, which needs to be decided really soon. Uh, I guess they could use the second buyout window potentially, but I, I it, it feels unlikely. Like, I think they're going to have to do the buyout if they're going to do it before July 1. There's uh, try and dump the entire deal on some bad team. Or try and tra- do a trade with retention. I wouldn't do the buyout. I don't like the buyout. I think there's got to be a way that it's preferable to me if you can trade him and retain some of it because then you only have the cap hit for one year and you potentially have a lower cap hit than the buyout. The buyout is to me is like a cop out move. Like it's there's there's got to be a way to disappear more of that contract than buying it out. But I guess the counter is. It's like I forget the number in year one. It's like six something in year one, and then it's two million. It's like seven hundred k, and then two million in the second year. So, but so what would you be talking about, like reta- retaining it? Isn't that the same as what you'd be retaining in year two? Basically, mm, I mean, if you have to retain fifty percent, yeah. I mean, his deal is four point six something, right? Eight, yeah. So if you if you retain half of it, it's like two point three. But maybe you don't retain half. Like maybe maybe you eat one point. To five million or something of the deal, his cap it drops down to, you know, the low threes, and a team like San Jose is like, all right, we can use this guy as our backup for three million. Yeah, that's better than two. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, that gets to the other point. Would you trade? Would you do try to do what they did last year, where you just move back with that twenty eighth pick? Like that to me makes the most sense. I think it would be fine. I mean, there's not a whole lot of difference between a twenty eighth or twenty eighth, right? Twenty eighth yeah. pick and. 40th or whatever like it's not going to be that big of a difference if you can find a team that that's willing to do that i mean they did last year they did they and it worked out brilliantly for chicago because they got connor bedard in that trade (laughs) yeah true yeah what was i think pd mrazic had like an 890 what did he finish with well he had two years left on the deal which is the big thing and there was a lot of money on that deal and 894 so imagine if they traded him to chicago and then they just had both (laughs) that would be so weird (laughs) They might get whoever the number one pick is in 2024 then. Yeah, that's a hey, good strategy. Uh, all right, let's take a break and then let's get to some questions. And we should also mention the Larry Tannenbaum stuff. Yeah, uh, I haven't been able to dig in deeply on that. It, it, I'd be interested to know why he's selling a piece of it and, and how what percentage he's going to be giving up and what that means. And I believe that 
Rogers and Bell have the have a right to potentially buy it, but it looks like it's being sold to another party. So that's going to fragment the ownership group even more. Are you bringing in someone else to be a, a part of what's going on at the board level? Do you want to know why you did it, James? Eight Billy. Yeah, that's it's not bad. Good. Not bad. That. All right, let's take a break and let's take some questions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alrighty, James. Uh, we are almost at free agency. We're almost at the draft. What's on the minds of the listeners? Yeah, we got a f- flights to Nashville here in a couple of days. Uh, let's see. Brett says, I understand that 34 is going to get most of the press, but has there been any word about Tree Living's approach with William Nylander's extension? They're, they're really quiet on that, but I would be shocked if they're not digging in and trying to get something done there, or at least figuring out what the number is. So Nylander's got a no trade clause that kicks in. That's a 10 team, no trade, which means if they don't get, um, if they don't get a contract done and they want to trade him, it, it'll, it gets more difficult on July one. So, yeah. So basically if you decide you need to decide now, if you're not going to sign him and then trade him now. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think that's super realistic, but yeah, my it, we don't know because there's like literally, like I said, nothing coming out from that situation. They must know the number now, like what it's going to cost. It's not they that hard to a, figure out, James, right? Well, I just, they must, they have to have had talked to the agent and gotten a number. And, and if it's the way out of whack with what they're comfortable with, then they need to be prepared next week to float Nylander's name out there. But that hasn't happened yet. Well, I mean, even you mentioned the the 11% number, which is like, let's say they wanted that. Would that, would you just like go screaming and be like, no way, we're out, trade? I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay 10, you know? So maybe it's just one of those situations where it's going to be a, a drawn out negotiation. I don't know on the Nylander side if there's a feeling that, you know, we, we took less and in, on the last contract and we're going to get every cent we want. I, I don't know. Isn't and it I funny how that worked out, by the way, that the perception at the time was he took too much and then eventually well, it quickly the, became too much. He less. ended up with the best contract of the big four. Yeah. Certainly by the end of it. It was the only one where, well, I, I guess I can't say that. It was it was the biggest bargain. Yeah, I'm looking at their their cap friendly right now, and Matthews thirteen point nine, Marner thirteen point one, Tavares thirteen point two, Willie eight point three. What are those numbers? The cap hit percentage. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, even I, I didn't know what that, you were yeah. talking about. Yeah. Anyway, ah, uh, all right. Andrew has a question. Here's a. I, I love people always love to look way down the road on the, in the questions. It's very interesting. Uh, Andrew wants to know, uh, how much longer do you think the Leafs are contenders before they have to take a step back to rebuild, retool, re-whatever? It's a really good um, question. 
It is a good question. I mean, let's say Matthew signs for five years. I mean, you're going to try and stay competitive through that window. I mean, it's it's instructive to look at Pittsburgh and look at how old their core is and how old their stars are, and they're still good, and they're still going to try and contend, and they're still going to, you know, trade their first round picks. And like Pittsburgh's prospect pool is burned out. There's nothing there, so you just you just keep going for it every year. You keep trying to add at the deadline, and you know, I think as long as you've got Austin Matthews, that's where that's the where the leaps are going to be. And I think that I guess I mean, the question though, James is, do they have enough otherwise long-term? Well, you just keep shuffling, right? I mean, realistically, I mean, you could keep adding in free agency. Like when Tavares's contracts up, you've got money that comes off the books. The cap's going to go up. You're going to have money, cap space. Yeah. yeah. Realistically, I think three years, they should be able to continue to contend. Well, like your, they, your, your cornerstone pieces, like for the foreseeable future, Matthews, Marner is obviously a question mark, but let's include him. Neilander is a question mark, but let's include him. Riley, Nyes, and then everything else feels like kind of TBD, doesn't it? I mean, I guess you you can throw Yarncroft in there if you want. I mean, you could say like Lilgren, I guess, because he's RFA, and you could resign him. Like some of the, like the yeah. and then maybe there's some prospects you think that'll break through in that next two or three years. I mean, but there's not a lot. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, uh, it, you wonder like how how the roster will reshape like eventually when the Tavares contract isn't there and you have that money and do you spend it wisely? Like they're going to have like their defenses is a big question obviously now, but even a, a bigger question like next summer when TJ Brody's well, contract comes away. And, the defense is old. Like they got one of the oldest blue lines. Yeah. Uh, which is gives me pause when you think about the Orlop situation. Just get like, older. Wanna, <laughs> uh, DS has a question. He, he or she asks, are the Leafs stuck until Tavares leaves in two years in relation to the salary cap? Nylander's going to get 10. Matthews is going to get 14. Tavares makes 11. Marner makes 11. Feels like we're shopping at Dollarama for the rest of the roster. <laughs> yeah. It's actually surprising to me how much cap space they actually do have to work with. Like we said earlier, like they could add a five or two, two, five or six million dollar players. I mean, then the rest of the roster would be Dollarama for sure. Um, well, and then like as you've pointed out, like the cap will go up significantly next year, and then again, like you're you're going to have space to operate, right? If yeah. So using his numbers with Newlander getting ten, that's three million more than what he's at now, and Matthews at fourteen would be what like two point four more than what he makes now. So a lot of the the cap increase is going to be a little over four million next year. I mean, so the majority of that just gets given to Newlander and, and and Matthews. The big one is is Tavares. Like that's a huge chunk. Like imagine if you just had eleven million to play with. Like yeah, and and granted, like let's be fair to Tavares. Like he had. 36 and 80 last year but most half of literally like half of which was on the power play well i mean um, he's probably he i mean he's still like a seven eight million dollar player easy right like yeah <laughs> yeah uh jazib says is it safe to say that shanahan this whole time and not dubas who wanted to run it back with the core every year <laughs> why isn't this being talked about more there we get we gave it that opinion has, been, has seen the light of day here. Shanahan, the heat hasn't really been on him in the whole nine years he's been here, and it's definitely going to be this year. It's changed. Like, right when he made that decision, it changed to now this is his. And I think we saw, we finally saw some daylight, is that the right way to put this, between Shanahan and Dubas in terms of what we're talking about, where 
Dubis has that press conference. Obviously, there's a lot going on. He's emotional and he says, you know what? Like, maybe we need to actually change something. Like, maybe for the first time, it was like, you know what? Maybe this isn't working. Maybe we got to change. And then, like, three, four days later, Shanahan comes out and it's like, nah, actually, like, we're not just going to make change for the sake of change. And it was like, okay, the, the door is now closed again, is how it felt. There's probably like some like crazy deep dive analysis you could do on those two press conferences and like read yeah. all the subtext. And yeah. like even the statement that Dubas put out, I know some people don't want us to like go back through. People want us to look forward rather than talk about this. But the state, remember the statement he put out and he, he said something like the reasonable, called them reasonable negotiations or something like that. Like they didn't say anything publicly against one another. But if you read between the lines, there was, you're right. Like you could see that there was, some level of disagreement there. The only thing I would say, Jonas, is I think Dubas had one foot out the door when he was making comments about how this team needs to needs to be changed. Well, if not one out foot out the door, then certainly one foot in the air. And like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm picturing him on standing on one foot now. Yeah. Uh, Eon says, if Matthews did agree to an eight-year deal, what is the maximum that you could see him getting Please ask Jonas to give an actual number, not just say it's too hard to say. <laughs> I wrote about this. I literally wrote about this. He wants you to so put an exact number on the eight-year deal. Well, I think that the right number is it's it's higher than what Hayes wanted. What did Hayes say he wanted? 13 and a half by eight? Like that's just not gonna happen. So I, I think that if you want to get Matthews on eight years, you're gonna have to go real high. Like it's gonna have to be high fourteens, maybe even fifteen, if that's what you want to do. Because, I mean, one of the factors is that if you think about it, if we go back to normal cap growth and the cap's going up four or five million every year, we're going to be at a hundred million cap within like three years into Matthew's new deal. Yes. So. I have numbers. Him him making 15 million is not outrageous on a hundred million dollar cap. It's just not. So I believe I had, uh, if he was going to take basically McDavid money, like 16.67% of the cap. That would be 14.6. Mm-hmm. If he went for McKinnon, which what was McKinnon? And that's percentage? based on the cap of next year. Right? Next year, yeah. McKinnon, yeah. it would be 13.1. And the mm-hmm. and that's like eight-year deals. So like a four, 14.6 times eight, I know it would probably shock people just because it's like, it's like significantly more than McKinnon. But it's not, as you point out, the cap is just uh-huh. going to keep going up. I thought Dom years. had an interesting. Yeah, Dom had a really interesting story on that. Uh, that guys like M- Matthews should take shorter deals and just keep maximizing basically their well, money and flexibility. That, I, that's what happens in the NBA, right? I mean, I think that that's why the shorter deal is on the table for Matthews is that he kind of wants to see how things play out here before committing basically the rest of his prime. All right, all right. What do we got here? Uh, Belvedere says, how can anyone look at the ruthlessness with which successful teams like Vegas and Tampa operate and not at least think about being more adventurous? Yes, I'm with that. I agree. You? Yeah. Well, I just find it's weird that they they come out and, and say, like before even investigating or looking at anything, that everything's coming back. Like that, I don't like that. The Montreal one was the worst one for that because like it yeah. was, it was a brutal loss. And literally like right after they came out and said, no, like we believe in these guys. And it's like, well, at that point, at least take three weeks and just call around and see like, what might you be able to do? Like 
There's I think diff- that that contributes a little bit to like the players feeling too comfortable sometimes. Yeah, fair. And that and that speaks that gets to that comment that Dubis made. I can't remember the way he phrased it, but it's like you get to a point where you're between like full belief and like stubbornness. And I think that's closer to I mean, I guess it's both stubborn and full belief. All right, a couple more, Jonas. I know we're running low on time, but uh, a couple more good questions. Uh, Dylan wants to know how many rookies or AHL promotions are realistic next year. I would love to see them really open it up for a lot of the young guys and seeing what they can do with some real leash. I feel like Tree Living and Keefe will be a bit wary of relying on too many untested players. There's just not a lot of options. Like who? Like I don't even know. Like maybe you put McMahon on the fourth line. Maybe we see Holmberg again. Yeah, Robertson, Holmberg, McMahon, Robertson, Nice. That's four young guys right there. I think that and Wall, right? Like Wall's going to be on the team because he's going to be yeah. waiver eligible, so he's going to be your backup. Yeah, that's. I think that's about it. Maybe Crawl. Do you believe in Hallwell? Like maybe one of those guys. Mm, I don't know, man. No, not yeah, really. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, let's let's do one more here. Um, this is a complicated one, so. Here's here's Eon again. You get two questions because you you put so much thought into yours. Okay, he's got four potential moves he wants us to comment on. So why don't we just go through them one by one? Okay. Okay. He says, uh, which of the following would you do? Number one, would you sign Orlov and Barbashev and fill out the rest of the roster with league minimums? No. Barbashev. I'm for Orlov. I think Barbashev's going to. He's going to get too much, I think, would be my guess. Uh, number two, I mean, trade Samsonov and other pieces to get Connor Hellebuck. Hellebuck signed for one year and wants, well, and he wants big money reportedly, His right? extension is going to be like, like you, apparently he won't, I mean, this is just what I've heard, not from his camp or anything, but just from other media reports, is that he wants something like the Vasilevsky deal, which is... That's a no-go. I'm not paying a goalie, any goalie that. It'd have to well, be the... It'd have to be the Dominic Hasek coming back. <laughs> and he's uh, he's 30, so you'd be paying him. Yes. Yeah. I mean, someone's probably going to do it, but I just don't think the Leafs should do it. Uh, number three, give Voigt, Robertson, and Minton a chance to create a kid line on the roster. I don't think I don't, those guys aren't ready. I mean, yeah, I, I was you at could, the Moral could, Cup and I... Go ahead. I was just going to say you could do... Whatever, if you want to call it a kid line of like McMahon, Roberts, and Holmberg, like I could, I could see that as like yeah. a first half of the season kind of thing for sure. I think that that's fine. I think I think they should leave at least a couple of spots for young guys to, and if they can't get it done, you replace them at the trade deadline, right? Um, yeah. I saw Minton play at the Memorial Cup with Kamloops, and I don't know if he was playing hurt or what, but he was. It was not a particularly impressive showing. There were a lot of players that were first, second round picks of other organizations that I watched. And I was like, wow, like they really stood out. Like some of the guys that played for Quebec, they were were unbelievable. And Minton was just not that noticeable in that context, playing against playing in a tournament with the four best junior teams in in the league this year. Was there something like you didn't see that you would have wanted to see? Just like didn't threaten offensively really much at all, you know. Like he, I think he's smart. Um, I think he's good positionally, but I think at the, I mean, this is just based on like one tournament, right? Like I saw him play whatever it was, four or five games. So like you don't want to read too much into it, and it's the end of a long season for those kids. But he doesn't look very big, doesn't look particularly fast, and you know, a lot of his offense during the regular season came on the power play. 
Um, you know, and, and the, the opinion of a lot of the scouts that I've got in Kamloops, which is like all, all of my family that goes to every game, their opinion is that he's probably just a depth guy at the NHL level mm-hmm. and not someone to get really excited about. That's really interesting. Well, obviously uh, we'll see what they do with the pick this year if they keep it. The one last trade that Eon proposed, and people are not going to like this one, is trade Timothy Logren and Connor Timmons away and sign Radko Gudis. Why do you need to trade those guys away to sign them? <laughs> Brian responds in the comments and says, number five, none of the above. <laughs> I mean, the closest one, the closest one is the Orlov and Barbashev. I, I don't think Barbashev would be the guy because I think he's going to get too much for what he is, but signing Orlov and someone else up front, it interests me. This feels like a, a bad question to ask at the end of the podcast because maybe we should discuss it in more detail. Should we, like, should they... And I was going to say, should we think about this differently? Do you have any like hesitation about the Samsonov wall combination? Like, should they actually be trying to upgrade there, or is, are you just? Is there anyone of, else that excites you that in free agency that you would want to pursue? Like, you want to bring in Tristan Jari or something like that? Yeah, I, I, mean, guess, I the, guess you. Yeah, could, I would give Wall a chance because I don't. You have no idea. Like, maybe he's the Aiden Hill of this year or whatever, right? Like, I don't think that's out of the question. Yeah. Maybe. I like Wall at making nothing as your backup. So the, then the question is, do you move from on from Samsonov after the year that he just had? I think what you do in this situation where you have two young-ish goalies that aren't going to be that expensive is you give them a chance. And if it doesn't work, you're looking for a goalie in midseason. Yeah, so the other free agent goalies, I'm just looking. Freddie, huh? Bring him back? Nope. No. Uh, so no, no, no. Jari is one. Uh, Nadelkovic, uh, uh, rhyme time. <laughs> there's not, Aiden there's Hill. Not yeah, yeah. There's not much cooking. There. Speaking of guys, speaking of Vegas players who are going to get overpaid. Yeah. I, 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 Samsonov and Wall is, I'm okay with Samsonov and Wall, to be honest. I mean, I know it's not, it's not Connor Hellebuck, but there's the potential for that tandem to work out. Yeah, I wonder, just just checking. I'm looking at the 2024 free agents. Oh, interesting. How about this, James? If I'm reading this right, Ilya Sorokin. Huh? I'm sure the Islanders are going to back up the Brinks truck for him. Yeah, you would think so. His extension. Anyway. All right. Well, it's good to be back. Uh, I'm. We haven't finalized our plan for next week because it is draft week. We'll be in Nashville uh, and then free agency is like literally like right after. So we'll see, right? We're going to have to, yeah, I think, I think the plan is when something happens, we podcast. I think that's going to have to be the. All right. Well, there you w- go. When there's movement on something where we'll, we'll jump on and we'll do a show. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, thank you to everyone for listening. Go to theathletic.com slash leap report to sign up. Thank you to Punch. Thank you to Brian Hayes. And, and obviously the. Overdrive show is is worth listening like literally every day. We watch it many days here, as do you. All right, James. Goodbye. Thanks, Jonas.